Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Welcome to San Francisco City Insider, a San Francisco Chronicle podcast on the people and politics making headlines in the city by the bay. I'm Chronicle columnist Heather Knight, and I'm here today with Ella Yitsaki, a 17-year-old senior at Lowell High. She's become a key advocate for the passage of a California constitutional amendment that would give 17-year-olds the right to vote in primaries, as long as they'd be 18 by the time the general election happens. She's here today talking about the amendment and what it's like to grow up in San Francisco. I'll be right back with Ella Yitzaki. Ella Yitzaki, thank you so much for joining me today. It's a pleasure to be here. Congratulations on being the youngest ever guest on San Francisco City Insider. Am I? That's (laughs) such a wonderful piece of news to hear. Yes. We rarely have 20-somethings, let alone teenagers. (laughs) You're bringing the age average down by quite a bit. Um, (laughs) So ironically, even though you can eloquently discuss uh, voting on Mm -hmm. a podcast, you are not allowed to actually vote because you're only 17. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you tell me about the project you've been working on and where it stands and how it's wending its way through Sacramento? Yeah. So uh, to make a really long story short, (laughs) since eighth grade, I've been working on a project that would allow all those who are eligible to vote in the general election to vote in the primary. So the best way to explain it is that I am born in July of 2002. So I will be eligible for the November general election in 2020, but not the March primary. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to make California a state that allows all those in limbo to not be in that limbo anymore. And uh, half the country has already passed this so that there's no more limbo, and I'm trying to make California the next state to do so. Um, So you want to make it so that anybody who would be eligible to vote in a general election Mm -hmm. would also be able to vote in the primary related to that election, even if they're not 18 yet? Yeah, so it's really just what what it what we want is a fair vote and a just vote and a full vote. I think my dad kind of explains it correctly. He was saying, you know, through the current situation you have, young people are really just getting half a vote. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really a crucial point to make to be made just because we are given this idea that you should participate in politics. You should be active. You should be an active member in your community. And yet we're not given the full civic duty that we are supposed to be given, the one we're learning in class nonetheless. So I really want to make sure that that sort of, we kind of cross that bridge, that we sort of fill that gap and that we really just help young people be more engaged as a whole. Mm-hmm. And so it, it sounds like um, most states have this policy already that 17-year-olds yeah. can vote in so, so I was just like reminiscing on how many states have this. So it's a nonpartisan issue, and I think that's a really critical point to mention just because I think a lot of people who might be listening or reading this podcast would say, oh, you know, this ca- classic liberal California is going to do this. But states like South Carolina, Virginia, Ohio, I mean, these are just some of the states that are purple, red, you know, sometimes even blue states that have passed this. And there's no regional trend as to where it's passed. There's mm. absolutely 
for frankly no trend as to where it's passed. It's just it's honestly quite a mystery why California has not passed it yet, especially considering that we are such an active state in terms of trying to engage people. We're such an active state in trying to make sure that everybody participates in the electoral process. We need to step up so that we're not behind all those states. Right. And so um, it would be a constitutional amendment. Mm -hmm. So um, it would need two-thirds vote in the Assembly and the Senate, correct? Mm -hmm. And then it would go before voters on the ballot. Yes. So it's quite an extensive process. And where are we in that timeline? Yeah. So it is, as you said, a very extensive process. Um, I think I've learned a lot of patience through this entire process. (laughs) That's the name of politics. Yes. um, But as of now, so we passed out of Assembly. So I... We passed out of assembly elections, and then we passed out of the assembly as well. And so now we're going to go into the Senate Elections Committee, and then finally the Senate election. And then hopefully, if all goes well, we will be on the November 2020 ballot for the voters to decide. So that's an important differentiation to make for this piece of legislation. Mm -hmm. This is not something that the governor is just going to sign and act into law and put into law. Mm -hmm. This is going to be something that that voters in California are going to decide whether or not people who are in this state of limbo should be able to vote in the primary. And once it gets to voters, is it two-thirds of them as well, or is it just a majority? Um, I need to double-check on that because, in all honesty, constitutional amendments for states are kind of complex. Yeah, Um, I'll find out. But (laughs) but that's a wonderful question, and I honestly should know that by now. That's okay. Um, Why is this controversial? Like, what do opponents say? Yeah, so I testified in the Assembly Elections Committee uh, this past summer, I think it was in June, and it was interesting to hear the opposition, not just like hearing them, but seeing the opposition. And most of the opposition was generally your classic sort of arguments like, oh, these are children, these are babies, which <laughs> was weird. But I think the perhaps the funniest piece of opposition that I was just thinking about last night in the shower was somebody said, you know, these kids... They've never bought a house. They've never paid taxes. They've never done this and that. And there's two things wrong with that statement. First of all, the idea that you have to vote, that in order to vote, you need to buy property yeah. is just such That's an very absurd claim. Yes. And it's so old school. Also, this idea that young people don't pay taxes. I mean, there's taxes on every single mm-hmm. good yes. in this economy. You have to understand that. Young people really do contribute so much to our society. And they're just eventually going to contribute. It's not... We're not saying, you know, just offer everyone a right to vote because those the only people we're offering this extended right to vote are those who are literally going to contribute directly to the workforce, to the economy Mm -hmm. in just a few months. Yeah. It seems ironic that you can drive when you're 16, but you can't vote for two more years. And arguably, driving is a bigger, more important responsibility in terms of endangering other people. Yeah. I mean, I'm on my school's debate team and we often talk about the legal age for driving, how you can be drafted in the military when you're 18, but you drink when you're 21. And so we we talk about these age restrictions a lot, but something I, I think is really critical to understanding about the, the, the bill that I'm working on, which is called ACA4, is that it's rooted in the idea that you vote in the general election when you're 18. I think a lot of people can assume, oh, we're just lowering the voting age entirely, which I think is a, a mischaracterization of the bill entirely. It's really just rooted in the idea that once you're 18, you vote in the general. But if you're going to be eligible to vote in that general, you are going to vote in the primary. Mm-hmm. Um, and how did you become an advocate for this particular issue and win? Yeah. So I have gotten interested in politics over the years. So 
I got interested in politics when I was 10 years old with the 2012 presidential debates, and they were really exciting for me, and I got became, I became really interested. So when 2016 ruled around, I was especially interested. I was listening to all the candidates' rhetoric and critiquing and complimenting certain candidates and really trying to figure out, you know, my voice in politics until I realized, you know, my ideas won't be caged in my living room anymore. They won't mm-hmm. be caged by my mom's discussions that I had with her. They, by The discussions I had with my mom, they are going to be truth. They're going to be released, so to speak, in 2020. And that is until I realized my birthday. And mm-hmm. I was like thinking like, you know, I, I, it's like I had one voice on my shoulder that was like, oh, you know, California, it's a wonderful state. They must have dealt with this already. I mean, <laughs> yeah. this is the greatest state in the world. We have such great opportunity for everyone. They must have dealt with this already. And then another was like, this seems like a pretty, you know, interesting political issue. And I don't know, this seems kind of bizarre, you know. And so I did my research and I was, you know, disappointed. I, I, I held my state to a higher standard. Mm-hmm. I thought... California would have this down already, but they don't. Hmm. And not only do we not have this down already, but we're behind other yeah. states. I mean, I think it's so funny to say California is behind South Carolina, Virginia, <laughs> and Ohio not because we pride ourselves yeah. on being California, the golden state, the greatest state in, in the yeah. country. Yeah. Um, and so then how did you connect with the Assemblyman Mullins, who's actually leading the charge in Sacramento? Yeah. yeah so I was really desperate with this issue. I really wanted to connect with everyone. So first I connected to my local assembly members, which was assembly member David Chu and assembly member Phil Ting. And then they finally redirected me to assembly member Mullen, who's luckily very close to me. Uh-huh. Um, just in San Mateo, just in, right? Yeah, he's just in also South San Francisco, I believe. Oh, cool. um, and so I eventually started going to town halls and meeting with his uh, legislative people. And he really, he and his team really recognized my passion. I think we've I've had this sort of long longish relationship it's probably been around two three years maybe with the assembly member and he's really recognized my passion over this time and he's really seen just the value of having this youth opinion on this piece because you can have an assembly member you know politician who all talk about this all you want but to actually hear from a young person like myself you know this is why I think young people should vote. This is why I think my opinions are valid. This is why I don't want to be behind other states. Mm -hmm. It's so much more powerful. And I think it it was such a privilege to be able to speak at his assembly elections uh, hearing. Cool. So why do you like politics so much? A lot of people these days can't stand it. Yeah. So I constantly ask myself, why do I like politics? They can become disappointing. They can become disgusting. They can become just tiring, frankly. But I think one of the best reasons to love politics is the fact that it is evolving. It's ever-changing. You know, in math, you always have, you know, you can find X. In English, you finally finish the book. In science, you find, you know, the chemicals and the solutions. But politics really doesn't ever end. And I find this so fascinating and so wonderful because we can just reach so many people with politics. And politics are just limitless and and they are just filled with so many opportunities for not just folks who were, you know, your classic politically minded folks, but I I often tell people, you know, even if you're interested in the sciences or even if you're interested in English, there's a political place for you. Mm -hmm. And that's really why I love it. And do you intend to become a politician? So I was asked this question before by an interview, interviewee, I guess is what you call it, uh, I guess last Friday. And 
I wasn't very concise, but I think the best way to put it was to, to put why I don't want to be a politician myself is that I'm really honest to myself about it. And I recognize that I don't want to run tons of elect, tons of uh, campaigns. I don't want to spend all that money. I don't want to spend all the time telling people how to pronounce my last name. <laughs> I don't want to tell. I want to spend time, you know, doing, you know, only learning little samples of every issue within my district or wherever I might be representing, which is why I really want to focus on political uh, advisory mm. and strategy. Um, I kind of want to become the next John Favreau or the next David Axelrod within politics or even the next Bobby Kennedy, although Bobby Kennedy was a senator and <laughs> attorney general, but he did act as a great advisor to his brother. And I really find so much strength in that, in that you can specialize, you don't have, you know, this uh, the pressures of holding political office and you can really just spend your time more effectively and efficiently. And you're a senior at Lowell High. Mm-hmm. Is there really as much homework and stress there as everybody says? You know, I wish I could say there is not, but it's really dependent on who you are as a person. So I am taking a very loaded course load this year uh-huh. um, with, I think, five APs now. And it's uh, it's a lot of work, but I really love the work. I'm taking AP government and AP economics and AP environmental science. So it's a lot of wonderful, enriching work, but sometimes it can get overwhelming. But the best way that, that I kind of decompresses, realize that I am surrounded by so many smart and lovely people mm-hmm. around me. I think I really found this community of not just intellectuals, but people who are kind and, you know, lighthearted and just really want the best for me. How many hours of homework do you do per night on average? <sighs> on average, it really does depend, uh-huh. but it's, it's, it, I think it's not that much. I'd say maybe two to three hours. Oh, that's not so but bad. There, I think what What's really important to recognize is that generally the homework is so sporadic that some nights will be a lot, some nights will be a little. And oftentimes the reason why it changes so much is because I spend different amounts of time on each uh, class. So, for instance, for economics, it takes me a little bit longer to kind of wire my brain around Mm -hmm. all those terms. But for AP government, that comes more easily to me. (laughs) And what do you think of the controversy over changing the admissions process so that more African-American and Latino students yeah. can get in? So I actually have, like, one of my favorite things to debate on my debate team is about affirmative action. I am – I see all sides to affirmative action, but I'm a strong uh, proponent of socioeconomic action, mm-hmm. which is essentially basing a, basing a preference on a socioeconomic class rather than race. Although I do see the holes in that, I just think it's m- more flawless than affirmative action. Okay. Um, but I think it's hard to find a perfect system. And that's what's so interesting about it. I mean, this is a version of just, you know, school politics that I find fascinating because there's no right or wrong, mm-hmm. wrong answer. And San Francisco notoriously has the smallest percentage of residents younger than 18 of any major city in the country. What do you think of being a kid in the city? Recommend it or not? Oh, I would totally recommend it. I mean... (laughs) Born and raised, right? Born and raised. Literally, it's been such a privilege to be here, not just because I, you know, love food and everything that is cliche about San Francisco, but I think just the diversity that I've experienced here is so wonderful because I'm touring colleges now and I... And I think San Francisco has really opened my eyes to just how privileged I am with diversity, you know, whether it be diversity in sexualities or diversity in race or whatever it may be or religion. 
I really recognize that San Francisco has a commitment to that diversity, and that diversity makes us stronger. Mm-hmm. And what are the best and worst parts of living in San Francisco as a teenager? I'd say the best part, I mean, this is cliche, is the food. Mm-hmm. I am a total foodie, or as my mom says, a gourmand. <laughs> um, I love, love food. What's I, your favorite restaurant? My favorite restaurant in the city is probably, oh, I'm going to butcher the name, I think it's called Sheba Piano Lounge. It's an Ethiopian place. Uh-huh. Um, and then the worst part of the city, the fact that, like, there's such a, it's not that there's, like, a variety in teenagers, but that there's so much pressure as a teen to be that, you know, involved person yeah. in every extracurricular, in every class. I mean, I think we talk about Lowell as if it's almost, like, the only place where you are under this intense amount of pressure. But I think everyone at, you know, George Washington, everyone at SOTA, everyone at university, everyone at SH and SI, they feel that pressure because San Francisco is a really educationally focused city. We mm-hmm. are we are quite a, kind of a model city in that regard, but I, obviously there are a lot of disadvantages to that pressure. Yeah. Great. Well, you've survived the serious questions, and now it's time for the lightning Yay. round. <laughs> What's your favorite place in San Francisco to get a burrito? Okay. So for burritos, I think the Little Chihuahua is always a safe bet just mm-hmm. because I love plantains, but I also love when I can add some hot sauce to plantains. Love mixing up sweet and spicy. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also a place, I don't know the name of it, that adds kimchi to burritos that's very to burritos that's very good. But in all honesty, the normal burrito place I go to is just a, a random normal burrito place. Like, frankly, <laughs> there's nothing special about it. No plantains, In your no neighborhood? Um, it's by my school. It's called Burrito Loco. Okay. And it's very good. Cool. I'll have to try it. What's your favorite movie filmed in San Francisco? Oh, goodness. I, I actually... Oh, actually, I actually know this one. The Last Black Man in San Francisco oh, yeah. was a fantastic movie. I think it was the first movie I'd ever seen that was actually filmed in San Francisco, which is wonderful because it was uh-huh. a wonderful movie. Yeah. Um, but it was just a wonderful movie, not just based on the message, but also, like, the cinematography was just mind-blowing. I mean, I just, like, left there, like, as, as a lover of photography, I just left there mind-blown. And what is your favorite thing to do in the city when you're not at school, doing homework, or working on politics? I think I need a definition of working on politics because <laughs> I often, like, kind of – it's not that I, like, my entire life is politics, but, like, I do find myself, like, it's you like know, your listening main hobby. to podcasts. But in all honesty, I love to just dance in my room to Beyonce <laughs> or any music, frankly, but especially Beyonce, and just go – full out. And I think m- many of my friends know that I just dance around all the time. I, I, da- I danced for many years prior, but it does. I do think it really does relieve stress and it really does kind of like, you know, lighten the mood mm-hmm. in such dark times. Yes, for sure. Uh, what's an unfair stereotype adults have about teenagers? There are so many. It's funny though, because like I, I often try and put myself in that adult perspective, but I'm blanking out right now. I think, though, one of the stereotypes that I always think of with adults is that, like, you know, they're like, oh, you know, they don't know the truth about, you know, San Francisco. They don't know the housing costs, you know. And sure, that may be a huge part of living in San Francisco mm-hmm. and an increasingly huge part. 
But I also think San Francisco is more in the more than the rent. It's more than just you know how much healthcare costs in the city. It's more than how much these utilities cost. It's really just the culture and of living there. And there's a difference in culture between an adult living in San Francisco and a young person living in San Francisco. And sure, you know, we may sometimes act naive by you know complaining about the price of boba, for instance. <laughs> um, but we kind of are living in a different world. We're living in a world where we see so much uh, luxury, so many luxuries around us, but we also have to maintain this kind of, uh, we have to maintain consistent, I can't speak, sorry. <laughs> That's okay. We have to maintain. Uh, the consciousness. The consciousness, thank you, yeah. of the prices, just because we recognize that so much of our parents' income does go to rent and does go to housing costs. Right. And who's your favorite American president and least favorite American president? Ooh, um, this is another loaded question. <laughs> I like Love loaded it. questions. Um, so this is going to sound like I'm a very partisan person already. Um, I'm not going to answer the least favorite one just because it's really hard to compare folks that are notoriously bad. And I know it's sometimes like people are like, oh, obviously, you know, Andrew Jackson was the worst because, you know, Nixon was just trying to be reelected. But like, you know, I'm still trying to figure out how do I value justice versus, you know, you know, killing people potentially. Mm-hmm. How do I value those two things, those things, and many things? Um, but in terms of my favorite president, and I want to preface this by saying, you know, it's gonna, I'm gonna sound like you know a classic liberal from San Francisco, but I want to explain why I think President Obama is my favorite president. Mm-hmm. So, not only do I really agree with how his policies work, but I think he also had this wonderful approach to politics. I think. It's easy to be swept up by idealism or pragmatism within politics. It's easy to say, oh, I want to be the AOC or I want to be the Joe Biden if we're going to talk about idealism and mm-hmm. pragmatism. But I think President Obama found the perfect merge in that, which is like kind of hopeful or idealist pragmatism, pragmatism, sorry, mm-hmm. um, where he recognized, you know, we have these ideals of getting people covered. We have these ideals of making sure that the country is safe for everybody, regardless of whether or not they get an injury. But he also had this, he also recognized, you know, how are we going to do this in our economy? How are we going to do this when and make it so that it's worthwhile, not just going to be, uh, you know, overturned with some sort of executive order or congressional powers? Um, I also think it's really important to recognize that he took us out of a recession. I mean, I think it's funny for me to talk about it because I obviously lived, I was very young during the recession, but... I just see that the the economic impact we still are facing from, from the recession, you know, this is over a decade ago now. Mm-hmm. And I just, I'm just in complete, I'm in complete awe over him. I mean, this was an incredible economic disaster and he quite frankly took it out, took us out of it quite uh, flawlessly. Wow. And what is something you always make sure to squeeze into your busy day? Other than dancing. To Beyonce. Other than dancing to Beyonce, yes. Um... Laughing? I mean, it sounds very cliche, but I honestly find that my friends are some of the greatest sources of joy in my life just because I I think many of my friends and, and my classmates know I am a, a person who can get stressed very easily when I have a lot of things in my mind. You know, uh, I have, for example, I had this interview today. I had, you know, classes. I had this and that. 
but I think my friends are always willing to and always ready to tell a funny joke or just make a funny comment that will automatically make me laugh, whether it be about Beyonce or about Barack Obama or Bobby Kennedy. They know some way to kind of tease me in the right sort of format. Cool. Well, thank you so much for coming yeah. today. It was fun to talk to you. It's wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you to Ella Yitsaki for joining me today, to Karen Creighton for producing this episode, and to you for listening. San Francisco City Insider is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is the editor-in-chief. If you like this show, please subscribe and give us a quick review wherever you get your podcasts. Support San Francisco City Insider and a lot of great journalism with a print or digital subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.